0: invite you to turn to first Peter chapter 1 if you're looking in the pew Bible that's page 1259 we'll be looking at verses 22 through 25 this morning and I'll title the message this morning our hope in the eternal word our hope in the eternal word first Peter chapter 1 verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. For all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is. As the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower thereof falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would break the word. The word of life open unto us Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. He is the bread from heaven. And we ask that you would indeed help us to see him, to savor him and to be satisfied in him this morning. Use your word to feed our hearts and souls. Use it to inform our minds. Use it To inflame our hearts. Use it to incite our wills. To obedience. To the truth. Father remove all distractions. We beg. Through your mercy and grace. Ask in Jesus name. Amen. Our hope is in the eternal word of God. Your hope. Should be. In the eternal word of God. In context. We've been talking about. Peter's. Aim. Peter's goal. Peter's main purpose. In writing this letter to. The elect pilgrims. The elect strangers that have been scattered abroad. Throughout. The world. The known world at this time. He was writing to them. To give them hope. A confidence, and assurity of their salvation in Christ through suffering. Hope in the midst of suffering. And he talked first about the foundation of their hope being in the work of the Trinity. What God the Father had done in choosing them to salvation. What the Spirit does in regenerating them and applying the merits of Christ. And that this is all unto obedience. Obedience to Christ through his cleansing us through his blood. The work of the Trinity is the foundation of your hope. And nothing can shake that foundation. No amount of pain, no amount of suffering, no amount of the world hating you or Satan seeking to devour you. Nothing can shake the firm foundation of the work of the Trinity in the heart and soul of a believer. And so he goes on to talk about how we're born again. We're born from above. We're given spiritual life, which leads to a living, an active, and a vibrant hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an eternal inheritance which is being kept for you and which you are being kept for. This is the the reality of your hope, that Jesus Christ has saved you from your sins and He is saving you In this present evil world and he's saving you to an eternal inheritance that can never be taken away from you. And so he says, because of that, because of what the Trinity has done and what the spirit has done in your life and because what he's preparing you for, then now you can have a lens which to view your suffering Suffering is not God doing bad things to you. Suffering is God preparing you for glory. Suffering is God using pain, using bad things that happen in your life for your ultimate good and to prepare you for ultimate salvation. God's purpose in your suffering is so that you will keep your eyes upon him. And this is a precious salvation Peter goes on to say, because the prophets diligently searched and inquired about this salvation to come. They, they talked about it. They looked at it. They, they longed to see it come about. And Peter says that this salvation which they inquired about, it has come to you and it should be a precious salvation. Because for thousands of years, this salvation was pointed to and longed for. And now the one has come and he has secured your salvation And so you should be happy and joyful, he says, even in the midst of your suffering. Because you have something precious and valuable that no one can take away from you. And all that suffering can do is better prepare you for the receiving of this great salvation. This precious salvation. And he goes on to say, if that's the case, then this hope which we have... It should lead and does lead to a life of holiness. If you've been regenerated by the Spirit of God and you have the Spirit of Christ in you, you have the Spirit of holiness in you, you're not going to just live any way that you want to live. You now have a new king. You now have a new ruler. You you now have um, uh, a new purpose and a new vision. And it's no longer to live, as Peter says. According to your former way of life. He says now you are to be holy as God is holy. As he which hath called you is holy. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation in every area of life. The way you talk, the way you speak, the way you the way you what you listen to, what you read, how you interact with others. Your hope will lead to a life of holiness through godly fear. If you fear God, if you have reverence for God, that will lead to a holy life before this holy God. If you haven't seen a holy God, and if you're not walking with a holy God, you're not going to lead a holy life. All you're going to do is live live a legalistic life. You're going to be no better than an unregenerate Pharisee. Who all you're doing is, is giving an outward show. A belief in the mind. But your heart has not been changed. You have not seen the glory of Christ. You have not experienced the holiness of the Lord. You have not seen the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you have seen that. If, if so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you have been risen with Christ. Then you will seek heavenly things. And that's what a holy life is. It's seeking heavenly things while we live in the earth. And so he says that this life, this hope that we have, it will lead to a life of holiness because we fear the Lord and also because we have respect to the precious blood of Christ. He says you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. If you realize what has saved you, who has saved you, Not just what he saved you from and what he saved you to, but what it costs to save you. Peter says, if you realize that, then you'll gladly submit to this king. You'll gladly try your very best to live a life of holiness before him. Because he was foreordained for this purpose. He was foreordained to come and he was manifest in these last times for you. And you believe in God through Jesus Christ, who raised him up from the dead. And he says that your faith, what you trust in, what you believe in and what you're assured of and your hope, that is what you're confident in your and, and what lies before you, your future might be in God, might be in Jesus Christ, not in your flesh, not in not in your willpower, but in the work of Jesus Christ and in the purpose and plan of God. Now, it's a great way to start out a letter. And he just continues on today by emphasizing the importance of the eternal and enduring word of God, the importance of the eternal and enduring word of God in strengthening your hope. So he's already given you the gift of faith. He's already given you the gift of hope. All this is done by the monergistic work of the Holy Spirit. That means he works alone in regenerating you and giving you spiritual life. But now he uses the word of God. Now he uses the preached word and the written word to bring that eternal life to light. And to strengthen the hope that is there. And so that's what he encourages them with in this text today. Number one, he states about how your obedience to the word. Your obedience to the word leads to a pure and passionate love of the brethren. Your obedience to the word of God leads to a pure and passionate love of the brethren. Secondly, he reminds you that your spiritual life is secure in the living and abiding word. And then lastly. He compares the corruption of your flesh. To the perfection. Of the enduring word of God. So let's break that down this morning. And I pray that this will be an encouragement to you. As we look at this text. Now let's start in verse 22. Of First Peter chapter 1. And we'll look at our first point this morning. Which is your obedience. To this word. The word of truth it has a purifying effect in your life and it leads to a pure and holy love of the brothers and sisters in Christ says he says seeing ye have you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently Another translation says you were cleansed from your sins. It's really better. You are being cleansed from your sins. But you have been, you are, you are being cleansed and you will be cleansed when you obey the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters love each other deeply with all your heart. This is how our hope is seen, brothers and sisters, our hope is. Is seen through our love for Christ. And our love for Christ is seen in our love for one another. Jesus said, All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And if you love one another as I have loved you. He says, Seeing you have purified. The word purified here in the text means to make clean, to sanctify. And it's in the perfect tense. And it's in the active voice. So it, it, it is a being perfected in us. It is something that is done and, and it, is, it has been done. It is being done and it will be done. And also, it's being done right now at this very second. Your obedience to the word has a purifying effect upon your heart and soul. Number one, you obey the truth only because you have first been made pure. By the blood of Christ. You'll, have, you'll never have an obedience to the word of God. If you're first not washed. By the blood of Christ in regeneration. You'll have a conformity to the word. You'll have a superficial knowledge of the word. And you might have a legalistic. Um, adherence to the word of God. But you won't have a love for the word of truth. And it won't lead to a pure heart. Unless your heart has first been made pure. By the washing of regeneration. But what Peter says is that when you obey the truth, when you follow the truth, he says it has a purifying effect upon your soul and upon your heart. You obey the truth because you have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, and when you obey the truth, it cleanses you from sin in your daily life. 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 through 3, right? Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons, the daughters of God. And it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we know this, when we shall see him, we shall be made like him. And then he goes on to say, and every person, every man, every woman that has this hope in him purifies himself or herself. Even as he is pure. As you have been made pure. And as you look at the perfect purity of Christ. If you look at that. And you behold that. And you conform yourself in loving obedience to this word. It is going to have a purifying effect. In your heart and in your soul and in your life. In James chapter 4. James would say. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. James is practical, and John is practical, and Peter is practical. He says, Because you have been born again, therefore, purify yourselves. Live a pure and holy life. You've got to submit to God. You've got to resist the devil. You've got to flee from him. You've got to draw nigh to God. You've got to mortify the deeds of the flesh. And you will if you're born again. And the Holy Spirit will help you. He is the helper. He is the comforter. He is the paraclete who comes alongside of you. He is Jesus Christ in you. And so he says, seeing you have purified your souls. Your souls. Not this isn't just talking about being pure in the body. This is talking about your inward man, your inward, your inward person, the essence of, of, of who you are, that's not your body. The body is just the temple. Of the Holy Spirit. The body is just the temple of the soul. And he says when you have. When you lovingly obey the word of God. It leads to a pure heart. A pure soul. And this leads ultimately to a passionate. And pure love of the brother, brothers and sisters in Christ. What is obedience to the truth? What is obedience to the truth? What is he talking about? First of all, you've got to understand what obeying means. What does obeying mean? And it's neat when you look at the word, it literally means hyper listening, hyper listening. That's what obedience is. It means that when you're hearing or reading the word of God, what your soul is doing is it is being attentive and it is ready to obey. It's going to listen in such a way that it wants to do what the word is saying. It means attentive hearing. It means compliance and submission to the truth. Compliance and submission to the truth. It's not just enough to hear the word of God, James says. You must also be a doer of the word. That's what it means to obey. It means to hear with the intent to comply and be submissive to the truth. Romans chapter 6 verse 16, Paul says... Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? What are you being obedient to? Are you being obedient to the truth? or Are you being obedient to sin? There's consequences either way. What are we to be obedient to? What does Peter say? Obe, obeying the truth, obeying the truth that is reality, that is fact, that is certainty, the truth of God's word, the truth about Jesus Christ and the truth about his plan of salvation and the outworking of the salvation in your life. How do we know that this is the truth? How do we know that this is the word of God? Well, you could just go to the Gospel of John or you could read the first epistle of John and you'll find much in there about the truth and the Word and how it's connected. John starts out his Gospel by saying, In the beginning was the Word. Logos. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. In the same, the same was in the beginning With God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Who is this talking about? Verse 14. And the Word, Logos, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, the Word of God, is the truth. He is reality. He is certainty. He is fact. Let God be true. Let Jesus Christ be true and every man a liar. And when John saw him, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Jesus would go on later to declare in John chapter 8, verse 30, and he spake these words, many believed on him. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. It's what Peter's saying. If you have been born again, you're going to be obedient to the word. You'll be my disciples if you continue in my word and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Oh, that's wonderful. You'll know the truth. You'll know it's Jesus Christ. And this truth has an effect in your life, which is freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from bondage, freedom from all the frailties of the flesh. Brothers and sisters, he's given us power and the, the power is his truth. The power is in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus would go on later to say in John 14. In verse 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus says, I am the word and I am the truth. So when you're talking about what are you being obedient to, what leads to purification in your life? It's obedience to Jesus Christ. It's submission to Jesus Christ and submission to his words, submission to his teachings, submission, submission to his leading and guiding in your life. If you're not submitting to Jesus Christ, you're not going to be like him. And you're not going to be living a life of purity before Him. Later, Jesus would say in John 17, in His prayer to the Father, He would pray this for you and for I who believe in Him. He would say in John 17, starting in verse 16, "They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world." Sanctify them, purify them, set them apart, O Father. Through your truth. And what's that? Your word is truth. The spoken, the revealed, the written, preached word of God. That's the truth. And that's what you're to conform to and submit to in obedience. And if you do, Peter says, seeing that you have done this, is there's a purifying effect in your life. And He says that this obedience to the truth, this is very important, is through the Spirit. It's through the Spirit. The Spirit is what opens your eyes to the truth. The Spirit is what teaches you and guides you and leads you into all truth. Jesus said that that's what the Spirit would do. He would bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I've taught taught you and told you. The Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth. And we have the Spirit of truth. And so it is through the Spirit That we're able to obey the truth and conform and comply and submit to it. An obedience to the truth through the flesh is nothing more than legalism and being like the unregenerate Pharisee. Sproul said, I will never obey the truth of God apart from the power, grace, and assistance of the Spirit. You will never do it, you will never obey the Word. The truth without the spirit of truth. So what does this obedience to the truth. That purifies us. Lead us to. What is Peter saying. What is he encouraging them in. Seeing that ye have purified your souls. In obedience to the truth. Unto. What. Unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another. With a pure heart. Fervently. He says, if your heart's been purified and you're, have brought, you have brought yourself and being brought into submission by the Holy Spirit and being led to understand the truth and conform your life to the truth. He says, what this, how this shows out in your life is through this unfeigned love of the brethren. This is a pure and passionate love for the people of God. A pure and passionate love for the people of God. Unfeigned means undisguised, undisguised, sincere and without hypocrisy. You're not putting on a show. You're not giving a performance. You're not acting like you love people, but you really hate them. You really love them. You really care for them. You're not putting on a face. This is unmasked. You're loving them as a fellow brother and sister in Christ. It is a pure and passionate love of the brethren. An unfeigned love. In Romans, Paul would say this in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. In verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. That means hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. It's better not to love than to love with hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate or affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. There's no better way to put it kindly affection this comes from from the bowels this comes from deep within you this is a pure and passionate love that comes from the Holy Spirit it's a fruit of the Spirit the fruit of the Spirit is love the fruit of the Spirit is love and so love is pouring into your heart and soul and so love is going to be pouring out of your heart and soul because that is the way the Trinity works. The way the Trinity works is that love flows from heart to heart, breast to breast, as we're using human terms. But love flows from the Father and the Son and through the Holy Spirit. And they have been loving each other that way throughout all eternity. And this love flows through them and it spills out. And this love has, flo- has flowed out to you and I. And it flows to you in regeneration. And then it flows out of you through the work of sanctification. Through the Holy Spirit. And the word of God. Brings this love out. In you. And gives you this passion and desire. To want to be like Christ. And to love in the way that he loved. He says a new commandment I give unto you. That ye love one another. As I have loved you. He just raised the bar. He raised it way high. Because he said you've got to love one another. The way I have loved you. And how has Jesus loved you? With a selfless passionate, pure, and holy love. He has given you everything. He has withheld nothing. Now, we fall way short of that. But our goal is that. That is the standard of our love for one another. It's not, how little can I get by with loving this person? Because that's often our attitude and our spirit. How little can I get by with loving this person? Because of something in them that we don't like or something the way it affects us. Okay, Jesus said, you're to love one another as I have loved you. He knows every fault. He knows every sin. He knows every defect and weakness in your heart. And yet he says, I love you 100%. And I accept you. That's unfeigned love of the brethren. And is to love one another with a pure heart and fervently. The love of the brethren, which he uses, he uses the Greek word Philadelphia. So he's talking about this this fraternal affection, this this kindness, this brotherly love that we are supposed to have for one another. Where does this happen in your life? Where does this happen in the life of a believer mainly? In the church. In the church. It happens in our homes, yes. It happens in our families, yes. It happens with friends, yes. But the place that Peter is talking about, the place that that the spirit is 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 teaching us this morning is that he wants us as a body of believers And the way that we strengthen one another's hope is that we love one another in this way without hypocrisy and we do it purely and passionately as Jesus Christ did. Sproul says the church is a place where God has designed this purifying work to take place. This is the place where God does most of the purifying work through His Word and encourages and feeds your heart and soul so that you can leave this place and you can go out and love everyone with the same kind of love. And so that's why the writer of Hebrews as we know says why this assembling of ourselves together is so important and why we should never with the help of the Holy Spirit and 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 with good health we should always strive to be in the body of Christ with the body of Christ Hebrews 10 says verse 22, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Same thing that Peter's saying. Pureness, holiness. You've been cleansed. So draw near with this cleansed heart. Hold fast, verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised and let us consider one another to provoke in a good way, to stir up in a good way unto love and to good works. Are you doing that at church? Are you doing that with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you always trying to stir up within them love and good works to the Lord? That's what we're exhorted to do. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. He says, don't don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Because if you do that, you cannot stir one another up to love and good works. And you can't be stirred up to love one another and to good works. If you're not there. And so that's why it's so important. And that's why we love this assembly. Because We feel the presence of God. We love to worship God. But we also love flows from breast to breast. And you encourage one another. And you provoke and stir up one another. Love. And faith. And obedience. As you're struggling. Throughout this life. So it's so relevant. It's so practical. What God has given us. But exhorting one another. And so much the more. As you see the day approaching. So how active are you in this, in church? See that you love. See that you love. That's agape. This means to love dearly, to be fond of, to welcome, to entertain. You ought not just to have a brotherly kindness, which you ought to have, but you ought to have a dearly welcoming, entertaining, Passionate love for one another. If your love is only brotherly love. Jesus would say the world has that. The world has that. The world loves one another. The evil loves one another. But yours goes something deeper. Yours goes something broader than that. Because your love if it's the love of Christ, it cares more about the other person than you care about yourself. And that's not the love of the world. The love of the world only cares about themselves and if they're loving someone else it's because it is a benefit to them in some way. But when he says, see that you have agapeo with a pure heart and fervently, he's talking about a deeper love and he's talking about the love of Christ. The love of Christ that he has for his sheep. The love of Christ that you have experienced in regeneration. How are you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ? With a pure and passionate heart. When he says pure here, he means free from every admixture of what is false. It means to be sincere. You're to love one another sincerely. And with nothing in there that's false or hypocritical as he said before. But not only is it to be that, I love that he uses the word fervently here. Because it doesn't, it's not an impassionate love. It is a passionate love. It is a fervent love. This word means intense. It means intently. It means earnestly. It means passionately. And this is the only time this particular word in this variation is used in the Greek. Is right here you are to love one another this way in which no one else in the world will love. Once again, Sproul says, the purification of the soul comes through obeying the truth of the word of God through the spirit of God. There are no substitutes or shortcuts for that. There is no such thing as sanctification in 3 easy lessons. No such thing. The only way your heart's going to be purified is if you are loving Christ with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you're loving one another as he has loved you. It's the same message that Jesus preached. It's the same message that John preaches. It's the same message that James James preaches. It's the same thing. Now that we have seen how your obedience to the truth of God's word leads to a pure and passionate love for one another, let's move on to point 2, verse 23. Your spiritual life, number two, is secure in the living and abiding word of God. The living and abiding word of God. How can we love purely and passionately? How can we have an obedience to the word of truth that leads to this? He says, being. You can do this because... You have been born again. He uses the same word that he uses in verse 3. And it's the only time that this word is used in the Greek. In verse 3 and, and here in this verse. Being born again. That means to be beget again. It means to produce again. It's talking about the spiritual birth. It's talking about the heavenly birth. Your spiritual life. And hope in eternal life. Is not based on anything corruptible, but on the eternal and enduring word of God. That's it. That's what he's saying. Your hope is tied to this eternal word of God. This being born again is in the perfect tense, but it's in the passive voice. You are being born again. You have been born again. You have been born from above. You didn't birth yourself into the kingdom. You were birthed into the kingdom. It's in a perfect tense. Which means it has happened. It is happening. And it will happen. This is your spiritual birth. Your heavenly birth. It is your birth into the kingdom of God. By the work of the Holy Spirit alone. The eternal voice of God. Speaks eternal life. Into your heart and soul. He says Lazarus. Come forth. Remove the grave clothes. You are now free to live a life for me. The eternal voice of God speaks eternal life into your being. The written word and the preached word brings that immortality to light through the gospel. A couple of passages on this. The gospel of John chapter 1. says about Jesus, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born here's the heavenly birth, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. They were born of God. By his power. By his will. And then in John 3, when John was talking, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he said in verse 3, Jesus answered Nicodemus and said unto him, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, Except a man, except a woman be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man, how can a woman be born when he is old? Can he go back a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it lists, and you hear the sound thereof. But can't tell whence it comes or whither it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. It is the Spirit of God that gives life. And it plants the seed of faith. It plants the seed of faith. And then the Word of God draws out that seed. And produces fruit in your life. And your spiritual life is secure in this living and abiding word of God. It's not in your willpower. It's not in your heritage. It's not in any kind of church denomination. Your eternal security is secure in the eternal and living and abiding word of God. What he has spoken will come to pass. What he has declared will be brought about. If he has chosen you to salvation, you will be saved unto the end. And, and peter keeps up bringing corruptible things incorruptible he wants you to he he wants your hope to be on a sure foundation he doesn't want your hope to be in anything corruptible the vain traditions of your fathers corruptible your heritage corruptible money corruptible corruptible means decayed or perishable anything that can be decay or 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 perish you have been born again go back to our text born again not of corruptible seed Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. Remember what Paul Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? He says, but this corruption, talking about himself and his flesh, must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. Your body is decaying. (laughs) It is perishing. And ultimately, one day, when they put it in the ground, it will decay, it will perish, and that all will be left are bones. But your soul is incorruptible. Your soul is imperishable. Your soul is eternal. And it is held secure in this uncorruptible, incorruptible, and imperishable word of God the word of God same greek word logos which we read of and talked about wednesday night in hebrews chapter 4 let us labor therefore verse 11 to enter into that rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief for the word of god is quick that's living And powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him in whom we have to do. Seeing then we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly with expectation unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need this word of god which lives and abides it is living and it is eternal living and eternal your spiritual life is secure in this living and abiding word in psalm 119:89 says forever o lord your word is settled in heaven jesus says in matthew 24 Verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away. It's coming. One day, heaven and earth will pass away. But my words, the word of God, the eternal word of God will never pass away. Never pass away. I think John Piper does a wonderful job of explaining, giving an example of what Peter is doing here. He talks about a lamp supported by two pillars. A lamp supported by two pillars. So the command to love stands between two reasons to love. Picture it like a lamp in the window of the church. Supporting the lamp are two large pillars so that it doesn't fall and break and so that it is high enough for the world to see it. The lamp is the love of Christians for each other. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. There are two pillars holding up the lamp. One pillar is obedience to truth, which purifies the soul. The other pillar holding up the lamp of love is the new birth through the Word of God. That is holding you up. That is holding you up to be able to love with a passionate and pure heart. So now that we have seen that your obedience leads, your obedience to the truth leads to a pure and passionate love of the brethren. And secondly, that your spiritual life is secure in the living and abiding word. Let's lastly see in verse 24 and 25 of our text how he compares the corruption of your flesh to the perfect, enduring word of God. So what does he say? For all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower thereof falls away. If your hope has anything to do with your flesh, you are doomed. You are doomed. Because that hope is only going to last as long as the flower of the field. It's only going to last as long as the grass. But one day, brothers and sisters, your life's going to end. The flesh is going to perish. Just as the grass and the flower of the field. So he says that's not the basis of your hope. That's not what you're standing firm in. He says your flesh is corruptible. Your flesh is temporary. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Verses 6 through 8. The voice said cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades because the spirit of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever You know, the message of total depravity, the, the message of, of the, the frailness of our flesh is only depressing if you don't compare it to the eternal word of God. Because even though we know our outward man is perishing, Paul says our inward man is renewed day by day and it's getting closer to Glory. He says, so it's a great thing that the flower of this earth is fading away because there's going to be something greater than that that's coming. And that's what our hope lies in. And so we rejoice in our infirmities. We rejoice in our our iniquities. we We rejoice in our infirmities. We rejoice in our trials because they are working within us something far more glorious. And they are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will will be revealed in us. And so he says, I hope that you're not trusting in your flesh. Because it will fail. It will fail. It may for a time. It may for a time suffice. But ultimately, he says, it will fail. All flesh, all flesh, every single person will perish from the earth. But we have something much greater than that to hope in. And we close with this. He says, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. This command, this commission, this saving truth which God has, which God is the author of and he is the finisher of, it endures That's the same word that he used in verse 23, which was translated abides. It means to last, to stand, not to perish. This word will last forever. This word will stand forever. If your hope is placed in this word, it will last forever. Everything else will perish, but not this word. This is the eternal and enduring word of God. And it's what gives you hope in the midst of an evil and corrupt world. And it gives you hope even though your flesh is perishing. The word of good tidings that has been brought to you. You weren't seeking it. You weren't looking for it. You came across it as the man who came across the treasure that was hidden in the field. It was revealed to him and he saw it and he saw the value of it. And then he was willing to sell all that he had to purchase that field so that he could have that treasure because he loved it that much and he saw its value. It was the pearl of great price that he was willing to sell all to have. That is the good news when it's preached to you and your eyes are open. You say, this is it. (laughs) This is it. This is all my hopes and dreams. I have nothing else. And that's what Peter is encouraging them in. Your suffering, it hurts. Your faith is being tested. It's painful. But rejoice and have joy. Because you have something to hope in that's, that's greater and far surpasses the suffering and the pain. That's the eternal word of God. And if He has spoken that eternal word in your heart, you're going to live forever. You're going to have a new body one day. You're going to live with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. You're going to see what pure and passionate love really looks like when you look into the face of your Savior. and you look at the Prince... Of the nails in his hands. And you see the hole inside. You'll fall down before his face as dead. But then he'll put his hand on you. And say fear not. Because I am with you. (laughs) I am with you. And so this is hope that frees us to love. If this is your future, if this is your reality, and if you have something that's eternal, why are you going to spend your time and your efforts on things that are perishing? Why not spend them on things that are eternal? Love one another with a pure heart and with a fervent love because that is what Christ has done for you. If you have experienced this kind of love, In your heart and in your life. And you have yet to submit to this king and follow him. He commands you today. Come unto him. Follow him. Flee to him. Flee from your sin and trusting in yourself. And trust in him. Turn from your hopes being in things of this world. And being satisfied in those things. To turning and trusting in him and eternal things. Which will satisfy your soul for all eternity flee youthful lust which war against the soul flee fornication flee ungodly affections and flee to Christ flee to a pure and fervent love of the brethren flee run to truth run to submission and compliance to the eternal and enduring Word of God. Lay hold on eternal life. Don't wait until tomorrow. He said today. Don't harden your hearts. Today. I implore you and beg you by the Word of God, submit your life to Him. May God bless you and keep you and use you.